Glad that you are here today. We're going to get underway with uh, God's Word, a study of God's Word. We've begun a study just last week in the Gospel of Mark's Mark, so we're glad you're here with us today for that. Let's bow together in prayer and then get to our study. Lord, thank you for your Word. Thank you for prayer. Thank you for singing and music and and all that has gone into this service today to direct our attention to you. As we open your word now, may your Holy Spirit be particularly powerful directing us towards thoughts that will engender growth, discipleship, maturity in our faith, all these good things as we grow in you by your grace. Thank you for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, a question to get us all going today. If you were to pick... If you were to pick the greatest human being that ever lived, and you can't pick Jesus, of course he was, all of us would say Jesus right away. But if you were to pick the greatest human being who ever lived, who would you pick? Uh, Think about that for a second. If you're going to think Bible, you're probably going to go to somebody like Paul or Peter, you know, one of the big big guys there in the New Testament, something like that, maybe Abraham, uh, Moses, something like that. If you're going to go to history, maybe you're going to go to somebody like Alexander the Great, or perhaps, uh, as I was telling you last week, about one of my heroes of our country, Abraham Lincoln, Honest Abe. Uh, If you're into sports or movies or you're a musician, you'd pick the hero out of your field, I suppose, but... Do you ever think about who God would pick, who Jesus already picked? You do know that Jesus picked who was the greatest human being who ever lived. In Luke chapter 7, verse 28, Jesus made it very clear, I tell you, among those born of woman, there is no one greater than John, referring to John the Baptist. Uh, No one greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Wow. God's bringing a kingdom to this earth that is far greater than anything human beings can imagine. If you could pick the greatest human being that ever existed, it would be John the Baptist, and even he is just like nothing compared to the least of the kingdom of God. Today we're actually getting now into the text of the book of Mark. We're beginning in Mark chapter 1. I'll begin reading there, first eight verses in just a moment. Last week, we looked at man, uh, the man Mark and the author Mark and kind of got some of the background in the book. And uh, we saw the people that mentored Mark. He was mentored by some of the great, great New Testament leaders. I mean, there was Paul, there was Barnabas, there was Peter. Peter had a great influence on him. In fact, when Mark made his big mistake... In ministry, it was probably Peter that restored him. And Peter knew something about restoration, having been restored by the Lord Jesus himself after his triple head denial. Peter knew something about that. So Mark was very well connected to great leaders, but he made a huge mistake. Peter's probably the one that restored him. And then in the turnaround process, Mark ends up writing one of the four Gospels, the Gospel of Mark. It's an incredible story. We got into some of that last week. We looked at the key verse that sets the pattern or the theme for the gospel of Mark, which is Jesus comes as servant to mankind, bringing the great plan of salvation to us. I'm reading today in Mark chapter 1, the first eight verses. The text will be on the screen for you to follow along at home. We're here in the auditorium, but we certainly encourage you to open your Bible as well and follow along in the version that you have. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one crying in the desert, prepare the way 
for the Lord makes straight paths for him. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. This is God's word. I want to begin today in verse 1 uh, with some of the introduction. Obviously, we're starting now into the actual text of the Gospel of Mark. And this is one of those things when most Christians read like verse 1 of a book, an introductory kind of statement like this, the beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, most Christians read it quickly and go right on. It's sort of like you get a package in the mail and you have to assemble it. What do you do? You skip the directions. You know, verse 1 is the directions that sets the pace for the book. Don't skip the directions. We won't do that. Well, uh, you notice here on the screens, I've underlined four phrases. The first is the beginning. This is the beginning of an amazing, a wonderful story. And this is the very start of it all. You would expect the Gospel of Mark to open with something like the Christmas story. You know, Jesus born in the manger. But remember, the focus of Mark is upon Jesus as a servant, and really nobody cares about the servant child, or nobody cares about the genealogy of a servant. Mark is beginning, beginning with where Jesus enters the scene in public ministry. He's about to be baptized, then he'll be tempted, and then he's right into the healing and preaching ministries. This is the beginning of the story. One of the interesting things, I guess, about the Gospel of Mark, you know, you read some of Paul's letters and so on. Paul tells you right who wrote the letter right up front. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and, you know, he wrote it. Mark's name's not mentioned. Some people think it's humility. Well, maybe there was some of that. We'd like to think that there was. But probably one of the main reasons is Mark got so much of his influence from Peter. Peter never wrote a Gospel, but all of the church historians really believe that Peter had amazing impact and gave a lot of the information to Mark that's in this gospel. So it's almost like the gospel of Peter, just Mark is penning it. Maybe that's why Mark's not mentioned. Don't really know. But what we know is that this is the beginning of the story. The story was predicted. Jesus is going to come. It's been predicted for hundreds of years, over 300 Old Testament prophecies. Now the story begins. Jesus shows up on the scene. He's going to be baptized. He'll be tempted and then right into public ministry. The story's gone on for 2,000 years. It includes you and me. We're part of this story. This is the beginning of the story here. This is where it all started. Second phrase that I've underlined is the gospel. It's the beginning of the gospel. And of course, gospel, we think, well, that's the first four books of the New Testament, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, yeah, gospel, that's the life of Christ. But the word gospel literally means good news. Now, we just went through Romans here, and we really emphasized that a whole lot, what the good news is. But 
Mark is saying this is the beginning of the good news to mankind because up until this moment, it's all been bad news. We're sinners. We got no way to heaven. It was predicted a Messiah would come and bring us salvation. This is the beginning of that story where Jesus actually comes and he ministers. So this is the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ. I'm amazed how many Christians aren't understanding the title Jesus Christ and what that means. Jesus is his earthly name. It is a, it's a name that means God is salvation, which of course is very fitting. Now if you say in other languages, Yeshua, like Hebrew, uh, 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 Yezu, other languages, different languages, Jesus is the Greek title, his name, his, like Dan, Joe, John, Dick, Jesus. That's his common name. He is Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name, Dan Young. No, Christ is not his last name. Christ is his office. It, is, it means the anointed one, the Messiah, this is Jesus, different from other Jesuses of the day. This Jesus is the Christ. This book of Mark, this gospel of Mark, is the beginning of this story about Jesus, the Messiah. And then the last phrase we've underlined here, you see, you've got to get all the instructions to open the book and put the whole thing together right. He's the Son of God. Now, those of you who know your Bibles and you've read, you know there's terms in the gospel like son of God, son of man. What's the difference? Long theological discussion boiled down to about 15 seconds. Here it is. Son of God refers to his origins through God. He's the son of God. He is God in flesh. Son of man, his origin through mankind. Just that kind of settles it quickly and gets us away from some of the debate on those names. But just to get us going, there's your instructions to open the book the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, Son of God. Now, starting in verse 2, actually verses 2 and 3, gives us something of the Old Testament prophecies. Remember all the prophecies leading up to the beginning of this story. There's a lot of them in the Old Testament, over 300 of them. And Mark actually says, it's written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one crying in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Actually, there's two of the 300 prophecies here that represent all the Old Testament prophecies, and Mark's simply going to, he's a fast-moving writer. We talked about that last week. Gospel moves quickly. He quotes two prophecies here. One I put in yellow to separate it from the second one. Interestingly, he says, it's written in the Isaiah the prophet. The problem here is that the yellow quotation it's not out of Isaiah. It's out of Malachi. So some people like to point, oh, see, there's the Bible. Another mistake. The term Isaiah is often used collectively to refer to the prophets of the Old Testament. There's some of the big major named prophets like Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah. Then there's some of the more minor prophets that have shorter books like Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, some of those guys at the end of the Old Testament. But all the prophets together are sometimes referred to as Isaiah, sort of like the lead prophet. Isaiah and the prophets. So 
Mark, saving time, he's a fast-moving writer. He's simply going to say, it is written in Isaiah, in the prophets, one prophecy from Malachi, the one in yellow, and then the second one is actually from the book of Isaiah. The first one, Malachi, is Malachi 3.1. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. This is God speaking. God saying, I am going to send my messenger. That messenger, we now are going to find out in this passage, is the greatest human being that ever lived, John the Baptist. I will send my messenger ahead of you. You is the Messiah. It's Jesus. I'm going to send John ahead of you to prepare your way. That's what John is. He is a heralder. He's a preparer. And we'll kind of get into that this morning a little bit. The second prophecy after the yellow section is from Isaiah 40. A voice of one crying in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight his paths. Would you notice, first of all, this prophet, John, that is going to come and prepare the way for our Lord Jesus, the servant Messiah. He's not going to be preaching in the temple in Jerusalem somewhere. He's out in the desert, and the people are going to go out to see him in the desert. It's a very unusual thing. It was prophesied in the Old Testament, though, that John would do that. He's the voice of one calling out there in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, get ready for the Messiah, here he comes, get ready, make paths straight for him. John's message was, clear the roads, get ready, the Messiah that you've waited for for so long, he's coming, get rid of all the debris, the rebellion in your lives, and the sin, and the disbelief, and, and repent of your sins, get ready, the Messiah's coming, you want to be ready. That was John's message. Get ready. In a sense, what we have here is the servant John, greatest human being who ever lived, introducing the greatest servant of all, Jesus, who is coming to provide salvation. It's an amazing thing when God shows up in the scene and we prepare for him and there's preparations for all of us and a lot of us are praying for things like revival. You know, there's preparations to be made, there's repentance to be had, and there's confession to be had, and there's some public following of Jesus that needs to be had. We're going to get into some of that in this text. I think we really don't always understand what it means to have God in our lives and what a difference it will make. Some of us need to be prepared for His entry into our lives. Some of us have been serving Him a long time. We're sort of like in maintenance mode. I love the story that the commentator William Barclay tells of a mutiny on the bounty. If you know the story, this is the Christian side of it. And apparently some sailors were creating a mutiny on board their ship and they were captured and put off the ship onto some ocean island somewhere. There were some folks living on the island, but uh, apparently those that were put off, there were nine mutine mutineers and they put off with them all six slave guys and 10 slave women and a 15-year-old girl, 26 people in total, and they left them on the island, and the ship sailed away, and they left all the mutineers with the slaves there on the island. 26 people on a remote island. Can you imagine what's going to happen? One of them, the story goes, succeeded in creating a crude alcohol. Oh, great. 26 rebels on a remote island with alcohol. Can you guess how that's going to end? Well, as Alexander tells the 
Alexander Smith tells the story, all of them died but him, killed, murdered, all kinds of horrible things. After the first 25 are dead and Alexander Smith is alive, one of the people that live on the island that wasn't connected with them introduced Alexander Smith to the Bible. He read it and was converted. 20 years later, when another ship landed and came into that island, they found Alexander Smith with the people of the island completely evangelized. There wasn't even a jail in their community because there was absolutely no crime. There was no illiteracy. All of them read and studied the Bible regularly. There was a value of human life. Property was safe, no locks on doors. Christianity had cleaned the society. God had come and changes were made. Boy, do we need a touch of that in our world today. Maybe we need a John the Baptist to do some work. Let's take a look at his particular ministry, getting these people ready for the Messiah, starting in verse 4. First of all, his mission. And so John came, baptizing in the desert. That's interesting, out in the desert, you're going to find enough water to baptize people. Out in the desert region, and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The entire Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins, and they're baptized by him in the Jordan. What does that mean? What is this message of John? How did this prepare the people? And so John came. His, he had a ministry of baptizing people. He was out in the desert. He didn't preach in the temples. All right. He was preaching a baptism of repentance. I've underscored that word. Repentance. This is a willingness to turn from you what you were doing that was wrong. It's not just admitting that you were wrong. It's turning from it. A changed person. I must get ready. The Messiah is coming. I can't live the way I used to live. What's amazing in Israel at this time, Bible students really believe about 300,000 Jews went out to see John in the wilderness out in the desert area and were baptized by him. 300,000 people in the ancient world. That was a whole lot of people. And he keeps telling these people, you know, you got to get ready. The Messiah's coming. You got to turn from your wickedness. You got to repent from that. And a sign of your repentance will be get baptized now. Baptism is always a sign of identification. Okay, I'm getting ready. I believe the Messiah is coming. I'm repenting of my sins. I'm turning from it. And to show that I'm doing that, John baptized me. A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. The whole Jewish countryside came out, and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Now they're confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan. They're confessing their sins, not just repenting, but confessing. Confessing is a different word. It means to admit, to acknowledge what God has said about it. You don't just, oh, God, forgive me for this. And this. No, you say, God, I know what I did was wrong. None of this, uh, well, I was born that way, you know, and, well, mistakes happen. Confession says, I'll name it as a sin, just like God does, and then I will repent. I will turn from it. We're getting ready for the Messiah to come. 
This is a very radical kind of a thing that John was doing out there, and I don't think most of us know how radical it was. John was baptizing Jews. Jews never were baptized. This is brand new. Another reason why it wouldn't happen in the temple, they weren't going to have Jews baptized in the temple. Jews don't get baptized. If you were a Gentile and you wanted to follow Jewish God, Yahweh, if you wanted to follow him, you got baptized into the Jewish faith. But no Jew got baptized. You're already in the faith. You're identified as a Jewish person. You're part of God's, God's uh, nation. John is saying, you want to get ready for this Messiah, you're going to have to humble yourself as a Jew and get publicly baptized. You're going to have to identify with the coming Messiah and his kingdom. So some of those proud Jews would have to humble themselves and be publicly baptized. Someone has said confession to God is a whole lot easier than confessing before people. Some of us are willing to confess our sins to God, but we sure don't want to name them with other people. John's saying, y'all come down down here. You're going to get baptized right now. And by getting baptized, you're saying you're going to confess your sins. You're going to repent of your sins. You're going to turn, and you're going to get ready for this Messiah. And they came in droves. This is a moment of revival. Pretty cool. Verse 6 tells us something about John. He's not only radical with his message. He's radical in his appearance. Take a look at verse 6 here. Um, this is the way he act, uh, the, this is the dress that he had, his appearance. He wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. I want to park on that for a couple minutes here. Clothing and what he ate. This guy is really radical. You know, he, he, he's wearing this clothing of this hairy camel's garment almost like a Bigfoot, you know, and a leather belt around his waist. He must have really looked strange. I thought for a few moments today, probably Emily would have said I shouldn't do this, but I thought about wearing a Davy Crockett or Daniel Boone, you know, coonskin cap and one of those leather garment thing with a leather things that bounce in the wind, you know, and riding a horse or something. And you all say, what is... The guy's lost it, you know. John was not out to make some fashion statement and wear the latest designer jeans that are torn. I've never understood why you buy torn jeans. Sorry, I know I'm dated. I know. Wow, yeah, there it comes. Okay, yeah, yeah. He's not out making a fashion statement. He's not got the latest T-shirt with the coolest saying or the coolest group on it or, you know, whatever. Here's the deal, he's not trying to blend in. He's radically different, calling people to a radical kingdom of God. Blenders, people that blend in often don't hear God's message because they're too busy blending in with everyone around them. Many times people who blend in or want to please people, they're not hearing God. And God doesn't seem or feel all that real to them because they've got a different agenda. John's got no agenda like that. He dresses weird and he eats weird stuff. He eats bugs and wild honey. Hey, what do you say after service today, after the business meeting, we all go out to lunch and we'll have some bugs and wild honey. 
Does that sound good? They're really not much of a taste. The legs kind of get caught in your teeth or whatever, you know. What do you do with this? The guy is absolutely radical. 300,000 Jews are going out into the desert to see this guy. And, and it's not like they're thinking he's Bigfoot or Daniel Boone or something. Obviously, Daniel Boone hadn't come yet. Here's the deal. All those Jews knew what they were looking at. They did. They all thought he was Elijah. 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8, any good Jew knew that Elijah was a man that wore a garment made of long hair with a leather belt around his waist. They go out in the desert and they see John. Oh, look, it's Elijah. He's back from the dead. And so, of course, this is going to authenticate John in the message he's preaching. Repent, get ready. The Messiah is coming. Uh, You've got to be ready. Second career for Elijah. In fact, Jesus even referenced John the Baptist being Elijah-like. In Matthew chapter 11, he talked about John being Elijah. So in a sense, Elijah sort of has a second career. People are divided. Is this actually Elijah back from the dead? It's John the Baptist, but he sure looks like Elijah. He's got a prophetic message from God. Get ready. Messiah's coming. Hey, y'all, do you realize there'll be a third career for Elijah? You know your book of Revelation? Two witnesses. They think one's Moses and the other's Elijah. Another message for God. Tribulation period. The guy dresses strange, but everyone notices right away. He's just different. He's not trying to blend in. Obviously, his ministry wouldn't fit in the temple in Jerusalem. I wonder if John showed up today if he'd fit in our churches and denominations here. They sat in my office preparing. I was thinking, I wonder if he'd be welcomed at Calvary. I'd like to think he would be. Because we don't think anybody's any better than anybody else whether you got millions or whether you're a homeless person, we minister to everybody. We don't play the games of favorites. I'd like to think John the Baptist would be welcome. Consider his message. It's in verses 7 and 8, last two verses in this passage today. John the Baptist why do we call him John the Baptist? Did he go to a Baptist church? Are you kidding me? Come on. There weren't any Baptist churches yet. He's called John the Baptist because he baptized people getting them ready for the coming of Jesus. Here's his message. And this was his message. After me, John says, will come one more powerful than I am. Thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John had a simple message. It's a message of get ready. Jesus is coming. Repent of your sins. Let's clear the road. Get it ready. Get as many people as prepared as we can. John says, after me is coming this one who is more powerful than me. The one who is the... The greatest human being who ever lives is now saying, the one who I'm leading you toward, Jesus, this Messiah, I am not even worthy to bend down and loosen his sandals to get ready to clean his feet. 
No wonder John the Baptist said in John chapter 3, verse 30, he must increase and I must decrease. It's all about him. Even the greatest human being on planet Earth, according to Jesus Christ, says, I'm not worthy of this one to come. He must increase and I must decrease. The last section here says, I baptize you with water. I dunk you under the water, get you ready for the kingdom of Jesus coming. But this one, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What in the world is Holy Spirit baptism? Fair question. Let me point you to three baptisms that are mentioned in the Bible, just kind of list them and differentiate between them. Here are the three baptisms. There is John's baptism. That's the first one. And that's a baptism of repentance. Get ready for Jesus. He's coming. He's the Messiah. He's going to change everything and bring a whole new kingdom. And then there's believer's baptism for those of us that follow Jesus and we've trusted Jesus as Savior of our sins. We go through what is believer's baptism. You were here a couple weeks ago with us. We had 11 baptisms on Easter Sunday morning. It was a cool day. It was great. It was wonderful. These people are going public. They're identifying with Jesus and saying, I'm part of the followers of Jesus. Uh, I'm in his army. I'm in his family. I want everybody to know. So they invited some of their family and their friends, and they want people to know they're followers of Jesus. They go through. I, baptism's always about identification. John, was, we're going to repent of our sins, and we're going to identify with Jesus that's coming. Believer's baptism, we're going to identify with Jesus now. We follow him. Third baptism, baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's also identifying. The Spirit of God doesn't dunk you under the water. What does he do? There's one place in the Bible that identifies baptism of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Take a look at this text. We're going to put it up there on the screen for you. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, see the Holy Spirit, capital S, into the body, whether Greek or Jew or Greek, whether slave or free. So every Christian, whether they're Jew or Gentile, whether they are slave or free, every one of us that knows Jesus as Savior has been baptized by the Spirit of God into the family of God. We've been identified as one of God's children. It happens at the moment of salvation. How do I know it happens at the moment of salvation? Because of the fourth word in this verse. See it? The word all. Now, there are groups today that will teach you, after you trust Christ as Savior, you get the Holy Spirit later, you get a special blessing, maybe you even speak in tongues or whatever. And I'm not speaking against any of those things. I'm simply saying the baptism of the Holy Spirit, according to this verse, word number four, it has to be happening at the moment you trust Christ as Savior. The Holy Spirit of God identifies you with the people of God because it says all, all means all. So if you got saved and then months later were baptized with the Spirit, you couldn't be part of the all. See? Paul is writing to the church at Corinth here, and they're a bunch of messed up Christians that need a revival of their own. And Paul is even saying to them, as messed up Christians as they are, some of them are young Christians, some have been Christians a while, we've all been baptized. See, all of them, all means all. So whatever happens at second blessings, and that's fine, you know, whatever, that's a different story. 
What we do know is in baptism, there's a Holy Spirit baptism that occurs at the instant you trust Christ as Savior. Now, can we go back on the slide to the three baptisms for a moment? There they are. John's baptism, that was for the day of Jesus. We can't get that one anymore because we're beyond that. But we can get baptisms two and three. Have you experienced baptisms two and three? Have you trusted Christ as personal Savior? If so, in that moment of time, you get baptism three by the Holy Spirit. And the way you say, well, what does that mean? I'm identified. I mean, he... He makes you a part of his family. He identifies you with the family of God. By the way, you do know that the, in the end times, tribulation period, Antichrist will have his identifying mark too, a 666 in the forehead. That identifies you with his kingdom, and you can't buy, trade, or sell or anything without the 666. All he's doing is he's, he's counterfeiting the Holy Spirit of God. That's what he's doing. He's a counterfeit. When you trust Christ the Savior in the spiritual realm, you are identified as a child of God. It's part of the guarantee of your salvation. Are you baptized with the Holy Spirit? Second of all, or number two, baptism, once you know Christ as Savior, have you come to the point in your spiritual pilgrimage where you've been water baptized, you're going public and saying, I'm a follower of Jesus. I want everybody to know it. If you haven't, we can help you with that. If you haven't had the third baptism, baptism with the Holy Spirit, we can point you to Jesus today, and let me do that as I close. Because this is exactly where it begins. If God is coming into your life, you better get ready. You better hear his message right now. This is a message of repentance of your sin, turning from your sin, admitting, God, yeah, I know I'm a sinner, and I, you know, I, I really believe, God, I can't overcome my sin problem. But I believe that Jesus died for my sin. And by believing in that, trusting him to forgive your sins, he will do it. And his Holy Spirit at that moment will mark you as one of his kids. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Here we are today. Greatest human being that ever lived introducing our Savior and introducing us to our Savior. Calling to us to repent of our sins. Calling to us to confess of our sins and trust in Him alone for salvation. You're getting out of the Savior business today. You're no longer going to think you can be good enough to get yourself to heaven. If you could do that, Jesus would have never had to die for you. But Jesus came and He died for you because He loved you and He wants you with Him. If you will believe Him, He will give you His gift of salvation, forgiveness of sins, eternal life. You could settle this account between you and Him right now in the quietness of this moment, sitting in your seat there at home, and YouTube watching whatever, you could just utter some kind of a prayer to him, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I get it. I, I, I confess that. And I want to turn from that. I want to be your child. Forgive my sin, please. Give me your gift of eternal life. He'll do it. And his Holy Spirit will mark you as one of his children right now. Father, thank you for your word, the introduction to this great book. We look forward to the learning of the public ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. His miracles of healings, his teachings. What an amazing servant. As we said last week, Lord, turn us into better servants of Jesus as you've given us your gift of life to live for you here and now.
Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.